some things this morning. Anybody ready for anything more that God has for us? Hallelujah. I just feel like I'm supposed to just bless you right now. Lord, I just bless your people right now. God, I'm here today that there are some things you want to accomplish in and, in and through us. And Lord, just right now, Holy Spirit, we give you freedom just to, to have your way in every word that is spoken, every thought of our mind, every desire of our heart. Lord, we're completely open. We're completely free to you. So have your way. Do with us as you will. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is a little little high end if you want to bring it down just a little bit. All right. Well, it's Palm Sunday. And I can only find one joke with donkey in it. So here it goes. Are you ready? (laughs) A woman was married to an annoying man. He complained about everything. One day, this man goes out with his donkey, and as he went, he complained so much that the donkey got annoyed and kicked him to death. At the funeral, as the, man walked, as the men walked by the wife, she, t- she shook her head yes. As the men walked by, she shook her head yes. Every time the women walked by, she shook her head no. Finally, the minister asked, why are you shaking your head yes for men and no for women? She replies, well, when the men walk by, they're saying how sorry they feel for me. I respond saying yes. When the women walk by, they keep asking if the donkey is for sale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> that was bad. Hey, a couple things. Uh, there is an app that we use here at Epicenter Church for, on your phone or your, or your iPad or whatever. And uh, it's uh, always an intriguing uh, holiday, if you will, Christian holiday for me, because it's so different than anything we would normally encounter, right? Like, we've been to parades before, right? You've been to a parade before. And we've been to, you know, other maybe big events and that kind of thing. But as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, I mean, we're talking about over 100,000 people, worshipers in town for Passover, that have heard of Jesus, and he's coming in through the gates, and the place goes nuts. It's literally shaking. Like the words that are used in the Greek and Hebrew, I mean the Aramaic here, it literally has to do with an earthquake, right? Like that is how much power and praise and worship is going on here. And, of course, we don't have that happening a lot in our lives. The closest thing I would say, have you ever been to a victory parade? Like did anybody go to the Cubs parade? Did anybody go to that one last year downtown? Nobody? I know we had a couple people that I know of. I, when the Twins, Minnesota Twins, won the World Series in 1987, we, a bunch of my buddies and I, we went down to the Victory Parade downtown Minneapolis, and it was a zoo. I literally had friends climbing up on, you know, billboards, you know, the big billboards, you know, the ones up in the air. I, we had people climbing up there. People were on buildings looking up. Everybody was just going nuts. I mean, of course, confetti everywhere. And I think that's probably the closest it could be get for me to seeing what was really on Palm Sunday. And uh, so it's not a normal thing for us. But here's the thing. I think that in Palm Sunday, in this victorious entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, we're going to find some powerful things today that speak not only to the king, but to his kingdom. And so we're going to meet the king today. We're going to meet the king. So here's what I'd like you to do. At your tables, you've got some verses on the pages and just take a few minutes and maybe go around the circle. Everybody read one verse or maybe somebody read a couple verses or decide how you want to do it. But just go ahead and read out loud. Uh, I want you to read the story at your tables of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Okay, take a couple minutes and do that. Ready, go.
All right. Are we there? Not quite. Hallelujah. All right. All right, that's good. That's a fun read, isn't it? It's a fun read. I, uh, how many of you like the victorious, worshipped king of kings coming in Jerusalem? You like that picture? It's a good one, right? And, you know, around here, we talk a lot about the kingdom, don't we? We talk a lot about the kingdom. One of our main verses that we use is in Psalm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus tells us to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So we basically are trying to take everything that heaven is and bring it to earth. We really believe that that is a mandate God has given us. And so we talk about the kingdom a lot around here. We really do. Um, Jesus emphasized the kingdom a lot. If you want to do a great study, go through the Gospels. And just look for the word kingdom. Do a word search on the kingdom. It's just plastered all over the Gospels. And in Matthew in particular, you'll find this to be true. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? How many of you think if Jesus tells us to do something, we should probably do it? Amen? So then Matthew 10, also, Jesus, he calls his 12 disciples. He says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, does that just sound like fun or what? Like Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you this authority, all the authority of mine. In fact, when he gets to the very end in Matthew 28, remember we've talked about how we're going back up to heaven. He says, listen, I'm giving you all this authority and Mark says, listen, this, these signs are going to be part of who you are. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, all this stuff, right? So that's, our, that's actually not only an option for us, it's actually a mandate, isn't it? It's our command. So Jesus says, I'm giving you all this authority. And then jump down to verse 7, it says, he says, and as you go, everybody say that with me, as you go, as I go, right? As I go, he says, preach. That means proclaim or declare, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some versions say has come near, right? The kingdom of heaven is near at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give, all right? So we find this Jesus talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And Palm Sunday has to do with the king of the kingdom, right? So here's what I would propose today. When you see the king, we will see the kingdom. When we understand what the king is all about, we'll understand what his kingdom is all about, okay? So we're going to go through a few things this morning in regards to this. What does the king look like? What does his kingdom look like? 
All right? So number one, if you want to take notes on the back of the paper, you can. These are just a few things um, that God laid on my heart in regards to this. Number one, he's a king at this point when we're reading the story. He's really a king without a kingdom. All right? Because you remember the story of Jesus. He's born as a little baby. He's born as in the poor Poor parents in a really lowly, the stable, the whole thing, remember, at Christmas time. He didn't show up on earth as this mighty king and this, dun, 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 you know, with all the angelic, you know, and the soldiers and the whole thing, right? In fact, he shows up as a king and another king is trying to kill him, right, from the very beginning. We'll get to that in a second. But initially, he's a king without a kingdom, and yet he declares himself as a king. Isn't it interesting? When he's coming into Jerusalem... He doesn't, he's not coming as a conqueror with a huge army, you know what I'm saying, like a military thing. He doesn't have any actual land that he possesses or castles and any of this kind of stuff. But he is the king. In fact, it was prophesied about him over and over in the Old Testament through the prophets that the king is coming, the Messiah is coming, the king of kings and lord of lords. And I felt like God told me this. He said, listen, sometimes in the spirit realm, we have to declare something before it presents itself. In other words, we are something by declaration before we are something in presentation. I, w- I would propose to you this morning that that is a huge part of the king's kingdom. See, even the king declared himself a king before there was really anything to show for it, right? And I believe in the spirit realm, God would say to us today that there are things that we have to say in declaration before their presentation, Of course, we've talked about this many times. We are called to declare realities before they are so, right? Before they are so. Romans 4.17 is funny. Uh, Brother Sonny actually was funny. I just said hi to Sonny, and this verse just popped out of him. First thing this morning, I'm thinking, I think you're going to like this, pal, because this is one of us. This is one of our verses today. In the New King James, it says this, that the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. Amen? He's talking about Abraham in that situation and the idea that he was going to have kids even though he was 100 years old, right? It didn't make sense. And the idea is that we declare some things in the spirit realm before we actually see them. Okay? Right. What's the word for that? Faith. By faith we live. See, the problem with the American church, I think, is that we don't live by faith, Right? We live by feelings, right? We live by what we see. And God is saying, listen, like even with, okay, so we'll take Susie for an example. She's not here. Anybody ever have a 10-year-old cut their finger on Chef Boyardee? It is not a quiet house at that point. <laughs> She's screaming, blood's flying everywhere. Sally's walking along behind picking up the blood, <laughs> cleaning up the mess, and it's going everywhere. And I, remember, and I just thought, this is interesting. I turn into... Pastor Steve, medical doctor, you know, like I'm the guy with the band-aids and the thing and the whatever. And Joni was awesome. She just starts declaring, Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. Heal this thing. Seal this thing up. Blah, blah, blah. And she's going on and on. And I thought, you know what? She's declaring over that finger something that isn't apparent at the time. At the time, I got a little, you know, old faithful going on. Blood's kind of spurting there. And we really thought this is going to be a stitched situation, stitches to the hospital. And she started declaring things that do not exist as they exist. Amen. And I want to just challenge you with that this morning, that as we live our lives, we are called to declare realities before they are so. So if your body 
is not healed the way you think or expect it to be, just keep declaring the promises and the truth of God. If your finances are a mess, you know what? God wants to prosper you. I was reading Ian Carroll's book this week, and you know one of the phrases he says? He says, I want everybody in my church to be multimillionaires. I think we have that right, if you will, to be wealthy and prospered by God. Why? Not so we can all drive Lamborghinis, but so we can pour all that wealth back into the kingdom to grow the kingdom, amen? Like, we're struggling financially right now. I want to just challenge us with this. It's a side thing. But here's the thing. You may not think you have the money to give fully to the church, to pay your tithes and to do all that stuff. But here's the thing. The kingdom needs you to respond in faith with your finances. The kingdom needs you. I will go venture to say this. There is more than enough money in our midst to accomplish the things that God has given us. Right? But we have to step out in faith. You may not think you have the money, but you say, listen, God's calling me to be a part of something. I'm going to declare that reality and say, I do have enough money. I do have the wealth. God is going to provide. He is going to heal. He is going to bring prosperity to me. He is going to bring, you know, the, the promises of the word of God to bear in my life. Anybody say amen with me? All right. So we declare realities before they are so. All right. That's the first thing. He's a king without a kingdom. But you know, he does get one eventually. Number two, he's a king on the most wanted list. He's a king on the most wanted. I really, I was, you know, doing a little studying on this stuff and praying and thinking. And I, and I, God began to show me that right from the very beginning, okay, let's do this. Before the beginning, we have, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And there are angels, right? And at some point, one of the archangels, Lucifer, gets a little big for his britches and thinks he should be God and he should have the praise. And the real God says, boom, see ya. And he kicks him out of heaven. He comes, he's, he's transplanted down here to earth, takes a third of the angels with him. Okay, devil, Lucifer becomes Satan or the devil and has a third of the angels. How many does that leave? Two thirds, right? So automatically, we're, we're, in the, we're in a place of victory. We'll get to that in a second here. But right from the beginning then, when God chooses to create mankind and he creates the earth and he sends Adam and Eve, right from the very beginning, the domain of the king is attacked by Lucifer, isn't it? Because Adam and Eve in the garden, they're perfection, there's no sin, there's no shame, there's no guilt. He's given them a mandate, be fruitful and multiply and go subdue the earth, like expand the domain of the king, the kingdom, right? Kingdom is the domain of the king, the king's domain, right? So this expansion of this, but right from the beginning, Satan comes in and basically steals the, the kingdom from him, right? Okay? Then you move on a little bit more in history, and you see that the, that the people of God, the, 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 the heirs of the king, if you will, the Israelites at that time, they, go, they, they get taken into captivity and bondage in Egypt, and they're their slaves for many, many years. And isn't it interesting, like, when... They started to get a little, you know, expanding. Pharaoh says, what? I want to kill all the baby boys. Now, what would happen to a people if you killed all the boys? What would happen to the, to the people? That would be it, right? I mean, it would be over. 
And uh, so the Satan tried to do that with Moses and the whole thing. You know the story. So the heirs of the king, he tries to wipe out as well. Then we get, you know, into the birth of Jesus. And right at his birth, Herod tries to kill Jesus himself, even as he's being brought into this world, as he's a youngster, right? So Herod tries to wipe out the existence of the king. Then later in the wilderness, when Jesus is, is uh, tempted, right, in the 40 days, we see Satan, Lucifer, again, trying to steal the identity of the king, right? Those three temptations. He's trying to steal the identity and the purpose of the king. Then you move on, and we find with Jesus is in his ministry on the earth, and he's beginning to establish the kingdom, right? Matthew 10, I'm giving you authority. Now you go and do these things that I've been doing, right? So we, and what do we see as, as Jesus is starting to get his people to expand the kingdom? The religious people of the day and the Pharisees and the elite, really, they're attacking him and they're trying to bring him down and they're questioning. And so we find that, that uh, even in, in Jesus' ministry, the establishment of the kingdom is being attacked by the religious through the works of Satan. Then, of course, even as Jesus is walking around, do you know that at one point in Jesus' ministry, his family comes to the door and knocks on the door and says, and wants to take him away to the loony bin. Did you know that? Like, they, think, they thought he was crazy by all the things he was saying and doing. Even his own family didn't believe that he was really the son of God. They said, listen, you're crazy. Let's, I'm, let's, you know, crazy man, let's get you out of here, right? And then, of course, we find the disciples, his, his extended family. What do they do? In the garden. We're going to read it this week on Friday. What? They all left him. So we find his family wanting to discern him, his own his extended family, we find them leaving. So the royal family of the king is even under attack, right? And then, of course, the legacy of the king. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're legacy of the king, right? If I was to ask you this morning, heirs of the king, if I was to ask you this morning, what is one area that you are constantly being attacked? What would it be? Different things for different folks. But I can just about guarantee you one thing. Every person in this room, the enemy is always trying to steal your identity. He is always trying to tell you who you're not versus who you are. We all know that, right? You ever start to get excited for God and then the first thing, well, you're not this and you're not that. And, oh, this other person's this and this other, right? The enemy is always trying to steal your identity, right? So I, I, I feel like the king and his kingdom has been constantly being opposed by the enemy. Hey, if you haven't noticed it yet, we're in a big battle. Anybody <laughs> not aware of that, right? The, the New Testament talks about it a lot. We're in a battle, Folks, our identity, and, and the Satan has been doing it since the garden all the way through us. Everybody go. I'm an heir of the king. Go ahead and just tell yourself that. I'm an heir of the king. I am dearly loved. Hallelujah. Here's a thought. Just like Jesus, you and I have a target on our back. Right? Here's the thing. You come into this king and this kingdom, don't expect to be any different than what the king experienced. Amen? So here's the thing. You're going to be under attack. Your identity is going to be under attack. Your purpose is going to be under attack. Your legacy, your destiny, your kids are going to be under attack. We might as well just get ready for it and say, listen, I got a big old target on my, on my chest, but guess what? I am 
victorious. And that's the third thing. The third thing that we see in the king is he's a victorious king. Amen? He's a vic- we may have a target on our back, but guess what? If you read the whole story, Palm Sunday through Easter next Sunday, which is going to be really fun, we find him victorious over every single thing. The authority that was stolen from him in the garden, he takes back, right? He dies and he takes care of every sin issue and then he rises again in power over every hell and bent plan or purpose of everything in your life. What? He's the victorious king. And I love that picture on Palm Sunday, right? <laughs> I, I just have a feeling when Jesus is riding on, that, on the donkey, coming in through the gates, first of all, I don't think he's sitting side saddle. Why does it always look, he's always riding side saddle in the movies. What, what is that? No way. I'm saying he hikes up his skirt, he gets on that thing, he goes, yeah, baby, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. Right? Like, he's riding in with power. He's not a little sissy on the side of the donkey, you know, like this. That's just one man's humble opinion. Anyway, I see a victorious thing going, bam, yeah, baby. <laughs> like, he's coming into the king. He's coming through the gates. I just have a feeling, like, have you ever gotten goosebumps in, like, a big stadium or some big powerful event, you know? Could you imagine all the goosebumps that were going on? I bet you Jesus had them from head to toe. He's like, whoa, because here's the thing. Even though he knew who he was, and he had had the adoration of all the angels for all of eternity and the cherubim and cherub, everybody bowing down, as a man, he had never experienced Palm Sunday. He'd never experienced that. I don't care. And the Bible says he's fully human. If you've got 100,000 people and the, sh- the streets are shaking and the thing is booming, people are ripping trees apart and throwing stuff down, I'm telling you, I bet you Jesus had goosebumps all the way down his body because he began to show that he was the victorious king. He's the victorious king. And it's interesting, verse 11 on, on, your, on your sheet there in the, new, in the Passion Translation, it says that some asked, who is this man? Like there was some there in the crowd that really didn't know what was going on. They asked, who is this man? And the crowds shouted back. So in other words, there's a lot of people that do, do know who he is. Can I propose to you today that there's still a lot of people in our world that don't know who he is? That requires the crowd, they re- require us to say, he, this is who he is, right? This is who he is. The crowds shout back, this is Jesus. He is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And if you look at that word Nazareth, of course, the, the root word for that is Nazareth. And it actually means victorious one. So Jesus of Nazareth, right in his very name, is victorious one, right? So in essence, the people are shouting, this is Jesus. He's the victorious one of Galilee. Woo, right? Tell you folks, we don't serve a defeated king. We we serve a, a victorious king, amen? Prophecy foretold. But it's interesting because this is the Jesus that the disciples and the people of Palm Sunday were really looking for, right? They were looking for a big win. They were looking for a big win. They didn't quite get it. Do you realize that before Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, at least three times before this, he tells his boys, his 12, he says, listen, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, I don't think they heard that. 
I don't think they got that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you even go back one chapter, if you want to go back and study even today or this week, Matthew 20, right before that, you find two of the disciples, the two brothers, jockeying for position. Listen, I'll, one of us can be on your right and one of us can be on your left when you come into your glory. And basically what they were saying was, listen, victorious king, I want you to come in here and I want you to wipe out all the Romans. We've been under Roman rule long enough, and I know you got the power because I've seen you do healings and demon possessions set free and, and food distributed, you know, to the thousands. These guys were looking for the, for the victorious king, and it's, it's entirely okay, but I think they jumped it by a week, right? Because the real victory of our victorious king comes Next Sunday, amen, when he rises from the grave and defeats hell and death and sickness and full salvation comes and history is split in two and all of a sudden it's not the same as it was. It's a whole new thing, amen. <laughs> Come next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so the New Testament time and again says not only is our king victorious, but guess what? We're victorious. Why? Why are we victorious? We're heirs, we're the king, and what else? Christ is in me. The victorious king literally resides in us. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. I'm telling you, next time you come up a thing and you're thinking this is too much or it's defeat or this bad thing is happening, I think you just need to speak into your existence and say, Lord, again, declare. I have the victorious king inside me. You don't believe me? Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans 8.37 says... In all things, everybody say, all things. All right, now before we move any farther, I want you to think of your all in your life. What are some things in your life that you have, you're having trouble with? All right, think of it. Maybe temptations, maybe addictions, maybe things of, you know, whatever, the lies in the mind that the devil's telling you, or situations in your life, physical or financial or whatever. Romans 8.37 says this, in, say it with me again, all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? Now, folks, I'm telling you, if the church of Jesus Christ would simply take his words and actually believe them, we would rock this world in ways like we never have before. But here's the thing. We read these words and we go, yeah, that's nice. Or, yeah, that's for somebody else. I'm telling you right now, you are a conqueror in all things through Christ Jesus who lives in you. Folks, there's, that's it. You want to be, be a real Christian? This is, the, this is the deal. This is your inheritance. This is who you are. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this. But thanks be to, to God. Oh, man. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is our inheritance, folks. Victory is our reality. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take a second at your table, maybe about five minutes, and I want you just to, to ask this question. How, how have I, how have I experienced the victorious king in my life? I want you just to go around, and I want you just to give testimony of areas or times in your life where the king came in and where it looked hopeless or it looked like defeat. He comes in and brings victory, all right? Can be in any area of your life. Could be salvation, deliverance, healing, you know, what, again, finances, family, whatever, all right? Just, take, just go around and say, this is a bad situation that the victorious king came in and he turned the thing around, all right? Take about five minutes and do that and then we'll come back.
All right, one minute, one minute. All right, 30 seconds. I'll give you 30 extra seconds. Finish. Last person. Wrap it up. So how many of you think we serve a good God who does awesome things in our life, right? Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun to just go around that table and hear the stories of what other people, how, how God has done these things? Can I tell you why testimonies? Can I tell you why testimonies are so important? When we hear other people's story, what does it do? It gives us hope, right? It feeds into our spirit. When I start talking, that usually means we should Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Well, the reason I want to do this is because there's a lot more I want to get to before we're done today. Can I just tell you this? The, the book of Revelation is, is awesome, and there's an awesome picture in Revelation where it speaks of the victorious Jesus coming back. You know, it's going to come to the completion, isn't it? That he's going to come on a white horse. Like, like I may not understand everything about end times, and I know there's a lot of discussion even amongst ourselves of, you know, is there a rapture, is there not, and all, how does this all, okay, I may not understand everything and how it all works out. I have a good idea of it, but, you know, I don't think anybody, if they say they know for certain and theirs is the only way, you should probably pay a little bit of a, <laughs> with caution, proceed with caution. But one thing we do know is we see this picture in Revelation of Jesus coming back on a white horse, and he is victorious, and he brings the armies of heaven with him, and he wipes out Satan and, and totally defeats the enemy and throws him into the pit for a thousand years. Now, how many of you like that picture? Anybody like that picture? And then we get to rule and reign with him, right, in, in awesomeness for all of eternity. Now, that is a good thing, and that is the ultimate victorious king that's coming. Our destiny, our legacy is to live in Christ and to live in victory. Folks, if we're not living in victory in a certain area of our life, you're not living up to your potential. You're not living up to everything God has given for you. If you're living in unforgiveness, that's not what God has for you. If you're bitter, if you've got I feel like God wants to just tell you today that there are some of you here that you're giving mental assent to what the word says and what we're talking about. But God is looking for you for it to move into the deep places of your heart. 
Like, it, it's not enough just to sit here on Sunday and go, yeah, yeah, that's good, and then these are good stories. It literally has to get into your spirit where you walk out of here and you walk every day of our lives. Folks, I don't know about you, but if I have an inheritance of something, I want the inheritance, right? If I have a legacy of something that's been given to me, why would I live less than what has been given to me? It's like the person who doesn't know they have a multi-billionaire, you know, uncle or something that, that gives, them every, you know, gives them a huge fortune and they continue to live on welfare, right? Or they continue to live in poverty or in just enough or in lack. And I believe this morning that the king of victory, the victorious king, wants to give that victory to you in the areas of your life. He wants to give it to me. Anybody say amen to that? So our, our destiny, our legacy is to live in Christ and to live in victory, all right? Jesus was praised as a king. But the fourth thing this morning, he was misunderstood. And the reason we know that is because he's walking into Jerusalem that day. Or he's, sorry, he's not walking. He's riding the colt. He's riding the donkey. And, yeah, not side saddle. He's riding straight on. <laughs> he's coming in on the donkey. And the crowds are going nuts. And here's the thing. They know who he is. So much so that when somebody asks, who is this Jesus? The crowd says, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the mighty prophet, right? How long does it take before the crowd turns on him? Literally five days. If you do the math. If this is on a Sunday, within five days, they're not saying, Hosanna, praise the king, victorious Jesus, they're shouting what? Crucify him. Now, many people have speculated as to why that is, but I believe that the reason that they turned on him is because the king they thought they had wasn't the king he was. You see, they wanted to get rid of the filthy, stinking Romans who had come in and totally obliterated everything in Jewish society. They had taken over everything. Even their temple. If you look at the, any maps or buildings of the Jerusalem at this time, you'll find that the temple is this huge thing that Herod, about 70, 80 years before, had remodeled and redone, and it's this massive building right in the middle of Jerusalem. But do you know right next to it, like tucked into it, literally coming into the temple courts, there was a, a little gate, and it was the, human, it was the Roman garrison was basically attached to the temple. Now, if you're a Jew and some filthy, stinking Roman puts their big army thing and attaches it to your temple, you're not happy. Why? Because the Jews had a great sense that God is holy and separate. And it would, it's like, like a thorn in their flesh, man, the whole time. Every time they looked over it, was, and it was a huge Roman, Roman uh, structure as well. All of the garrison of Rome was right there. So when Jesus comes in and he's the king, king, Jesus, victorious, blah, 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 almost to a, to a person, that whole crowd was thinking, we want this Jesus because he's going to give us earthly victory. He's going to get rid of the Romans. And I will say this, oftentimes, this is still true today, that many people think they know who Jesus is. And who we think he is and who he thinks he is are oftentimes entirely different, aren't they? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's true. And it's interesting, too, because it's not like Jesus didn't warn the disciples. <laughs> you know? Like we said before, days and weeks before he's coming to Jerusalem, he's saying, listen, 
I'm going to Jerusalem to die. You know, do you ever talk to someone and you try to tell them something and you'll say, the sky is blue. And they look back at you and go, yeah, the sky's green. <laughs> Whatever, like, like the exact opposite of what you just told them. And it's almost like you want to go, dunk, dunk, dunk on top of their head and go, no, listen, this is what I'm saying. And they totally miss what you're trying to tell them, right? It's almost like a delusion or something. You know what I'm saying? I just think it's so funny. Jesus literally tells the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. The Son of Man is going to die. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Hey, when we're, when we're, after we conquer the Romans, can I sit on your right? Can you sit on the left? And, you know, they're jockeying for position. They totally didn't want to hear, right? It's like your little kid. Well, <laughs> they put their hands over their ears and they go, la, 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 la. Like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I only want you to be the God that I want you to be. But God is not going to be the God you want him to be. He's going to be the God who he is. Right? He knows who he is. He doesn't need me to tell him who he is. He needs me to understand what he thinks he is, who he really is. He's a misunderstood king at that time, and I believe he's a misunderstood king many times in our society as well. So here's what I would suggest. Don't pray to tell God what to do. In other words, your thoughts. Why does he teach us to pray? He says, when you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm pretty sure we can trust God, the creator of the universe, and all the stars and all the galaxies and everything with the plan over our lives. Amen? Did you agree with me? Let him be God. So here's a note. If we are truly followers of the king and the kingdom, we must be ready to be misunderstood and not make sense to others. You see, if our king is misunderstood and people didn't really understand who he was, we have to be ready to say, listen, I'm pretty sure if I have the king in me and I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, there's going to be times where my world misunderstands me. Have you ever been, <laughs> use this word, blatantly spiritual on your job or in your, in your friend setting? In other words, have you ever really just talked about Jesus or wanted to pray for someone? Right? Is it possible that there are people in our lives that don't understand what we're doing and they actually want you to stop? <laughs> and here's the, the bad part. A lot of times those people are Christians. Hey, stop praying. That's embarrassing me. That's awkward. You know, like, you know, it's entirely possible that if we're followers of the king and his kingdom, the heirs, if we're like the king, we're going to be misunderstood often just like he's misunderstood. Amen? So number four, he's a misunderstood king. Number five, last one this morning. That this king, is a, he's a king of an upside-down kingdom. This is such a big deal. This is such a big deal. In Zechariah 9.9, there's a prophetic declaration, a prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem. Now, now, you ready for this? This prophecy was written 500 years before Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday. All right? So here's what it says, Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's, I mean... Mind blown, right? 500 years before this actually happens, the prophet Zechariah says, listen, daughters of Zion, basically people of Israel, people of Jerusalem, your king is coming. 
but he's coming in on a donkey. Now, one of the things we don't fully understand, really, in our American, you know, Western culture is this idea of what a conquering, victorious king coming into a city actually looked like. So I'm going to give you a picture of this. This is a... This is actually a video from the, from the movie Gladiator. Some of you might recognize this. It's from the movie Gladiator, and it's when the, the, the Caesar, he's coming into the city, and this is what it would normally look like for a victorious king to enter a city. Go ahead. So that's a picture of Roman, you know, Caesar coming into the city. That's what a victor. But throughout history, that's what a victorious king. So when a king decides not to come in on a chariot or on a white, you know, stallion with all the, the glamour, what does Jesus do? He comes in on a donkey, which is really a very lowly animal in the, in the it's a, you know, it's not a highly celebrated animal in the, in the, in the culture of that day. He comes in on a donkey. And what does it say in Zechariah? Humble, endowed with salvation and just, but he's humble. He's coming in. So what does he do? The victorious picture that everybody has in their mind. I think it's one of the reasons why people see him coming on a donkey and they start to go, wait a minute. If he's, the coming, if he's coming in as a king, in 2 Kings it actually shows a picture of when one of the kings of, of Israel uh, was to become king. They rip off their, 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 their coats and they throw them down on the steps so that the king coming in would step on the coats. And I have a feeling in my, in my mind's eye that on that day in Jerusalem, the crowd was saying, we want this Caesar. We want this victorious champion. And he's coming in on a donkey so we're going to have to do something about it. Let's throw a bunch of coats down because that's what we're supposed to do when the king comes in. Hey, we need more. Grab the palm branches. Let's do that too, right? Because I think they're trying to get Jesus to be the king that they want him to be, right? Hosanna, Savior, kick the Romans' butt. Let's do this. We want to be, be set free, right? Everybody go like this. Take your hands. Go like this and just flip them. I will tell you this, as kings of, as heirs of this king, we live in a kingdom upside down. Jesus says, hey, the normal conqueror is supposed to come in on horses and chariots and blah, you know, nope, I'm coming in on a donkey, baby. <laughs> I'm going to take this thing and flip it all around because my kingdom looks different than that other kingdom. It's a kingdom upside down. And he's really, in so many ways, kind of backward He's a backward king. I'll give you an example. If you go back in Matthew, a couple of chapters, 
Remember when the, the two disciples are jockeying for position to get on the right and the left, places of prominence in the kingdom? You know, Jesus looks at him and says, listen, boys, you're kind of missing the point. He says this. He says, the first shall be last. Right? And he says, listen, even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve. What is he doing? Kingdom upside down. However you think this thing is supposed to be, it's actually flipped around. You know, I'll tell you, like, when we, we just accepted a, a new deacon, we just voted in a new deacon, Andrew, and, and Mike and Kathy are our other two at this point. And a deacon, you know, in some churches, a deacon is an elevated position. Jody and I kind of joke around. We go to Tennessee. She's, she was raised in a church. And at the beginning of every service, the deacons come marching in like a parade of champions, you know, like they're this high and mighty thing. And they literally, right, they walk. It's choreographed. You know, the deacons have arrived. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, you know, and, but, okay, so the, the leadership of the church comes marching in and, you know, da, 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 doing this whole thing. But Jesus says, listen, I actually want your leaders to be servants. Do you know what the word deacon actually means? In the Greek, diakonos means servant. So our leadership of this church, elders and deacons, we're actually called to be on the bottom, not the top. Okay? Now, I don't mind honor and respect and all those things is all good. But I'm telling you, as we come to be the leaders of this church, we don't come in with some elevated thing and trying to, you know. Hey, Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Right? The first shall be last. Kingdom upside down. So, one last time, I'll give you five minutes real quick on this one, then we'll close. How have you, how have I experienced the kingdom upside down? I want you just to talk about some places maybe in your life or some things God has shown you where it's been flipped. It's the kingdom up, it's the opposite of what other people think, all right? Maybe you've experienced something or maybe you have a story. Just take, let's say three or four minutes and do this, all right? Kingdom upside down. What does that look like in your life up to this point, some of you, all right? Ready, set, go.
Okay, one more minute. One minute, wrap it up. from other tables. It's no problem. All right. Let's bring it back. We've got just a couple minutes. All right. Upside down king. Upside down kingdom, right? And we get to experience that. We get to walk that out. I will say this. If your daily walk with Christ in your life and in your atmosphere seems normal, you're doing it wrong. I'll just be honest with you. If there's no risk, if it's not scary, <laughs> if, it, if it just kind of looks like everybody else's life, you're doing it wrong. Why? Because, boom, we're supposed to be completely different, right? We're light in the darkness. How many of you think light and darkness are two completely different things, right? The kingdom upside down, it's like this. And isn't it interesting? Even the advancing of the kingdom in our world, even the advancing of the kingdom we have the king's kingdom is advanced with an absent king, physically, right? Our king, you can't see our king. We feel him, we sense him, we know him, right? But he's not a normal king. He's absent, really. We don't, we don't have him. But the king and the kingdom shows up through the king's heirs. Like the king shows up and the kingdom is realized when we, as his heirs, act, think, and behave and, and function in every way like the king, right? And if the king and his kingdom are upside down, then we need to be upside down. It's time for the American church to stop trying to fit in. It's time for the American church to stop trying to look and not offend people and make it, you know, like, here's the thing. Comfort and ease are fine when you're sitting on a sofa, <laughs> But when it comes to the kingdom, we're not, we're not, our goal is not comfort and ease. And it seems like in the American church so often, the goal of the American church is to be comfortable. Are our guests comfortable when they come? You know, when, when we talk to people, we don't want to upset them. And you know what? I think it's okay to start living with risk and scary. And, you know, of course, don't be rude for the sake of being rude. You know what I'm saying. I don't think that. But to take the kingdom in a powerful way like the king did. You know, when he showed up and there was sickness, bam, no more sickness, right? He shows up and there's not enough food to eat, bam, there's food to eat, right? Everything about him was kind of flipped around in the normal ways of doing things. Just out the window. He spent three and a half years teaching the disciples and the followers, listen, you're not supposed to look like the Pharisees. <laughs> you're not supposed to look like religion has been up to this point. Now it's completely different. Amen? Anybody go, woo? <laughs> All right. So here's our thing. If we truly are followers of the king, if we are truly followers of the king, we must live upside down with our world 
and be okay with it. We need to stop making comfort and ease our number one goal and say, Lord, you did this kind of great, crazy and different and wild. I want to be crazy and different and wild. I don't want my God to be the God I think he is. I want to be a reflection of the God who he really is. Amen? If we are truly followers of the king and the kingdom, we must live upside down with our world. So as we close this morning, I just want to ask you this one question first of all. Have you met the king? Because every single person has to meet the king. You can come to church and you can talk about the king and the kingdom with us, but unless you actually let the king take over your life, then we're just having a bunch of words in a nice meeting. So I want to just challenge you this morning. If you've never met the king, the king is very loving and gracious, and he actually wants you to come and be a part of his kingdom, right? Right around your table, there are many people that could help you get introduced to the king. It's, ta- it's called getting saved. The Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about being saved and turning our life over to the king and saying this. Basically, we say this, Lord, what you did on the cross to shed your blood for my sins And what you did at the resurrection to give me power to live life as the king, Lord, I want that. And then you simply say, I give up control of my life to you. Because here's the king. Here's the catch. When the king, when you meet the king, who's more important, you or the king? (laughs) The king. And so we don't make the king look like us. We submit our life to the king, right? We give our lives to the king. So this morning... I want you to just know that there are people at your very table. Even this morning, you can make this decision. Have you made the king your king? And then for those of you that have already done that, am I living my life like the king and his kingdom tells me to live? In other words, is it, am I normal? Am I comfort? Am I easy? Or is there a place in my life, God, where you want me to begin to flip this kingdom upside down, to live in this kingdom like you set it up to be? So here's what I want you to do. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning as we close? I'm going to actually, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a commission this morning, all right? And the commission is simply this, that we don't just take what we've learned this morning and leave it here. We actually commit to taking it with us as we go. A commission means that we're going to be sent ones. And so I'm just, we're going to run through a few phrases, and I want you just to, let's read them together, all right? Are you ready? First thing is this. I will listen and respond to the king's voice. Let's read it together. Ready? I will listen and respond to the king's voice and declare his realities before they are so. I will live with a target on my back and thrive in it. I will live my life daily in the victory he won. I am ready and willing to be misunderstood and not make sense to others. I am ready to live this week in his kingdom upside down. I am bringing the supernatural love and power of his kingdom to my world and reclaiming it for him. Lift your hands.